Hello and welcome to the newest episode of Circuit 42. I am your host, Ian. I am here with my fellow host, Michael the Wizard Martinez. He's a samurai, you know. Yes, Whoa. the return of the Wizard Samurai. And Matt, the mechanical one, Dunford. He has many spider bands. Oh. oh, thank you so much for having me back on the show. It's so wonderful to be here today. Of course. <laughs> I mean, you're basically a wizard. And with us, yeah. special guest, comic artist, comic writer, creator of all the things. He drew Spider-Man. He drew the Punisher. He really, really, really loves Nova to an unhealthy degree. And he created Savage Dragon. That's right, Eric Larson. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So for those five people, let's begin. For those five people, because at this point, I really think it's five people who don't know who you are. Who are you uh, and what do you do? Uh, are you kidding me? You just gave my entire resume. That's it. That's everything I've ever done right there. There you are. I, I, do, I do Savage Dragon more than anything. That seems to be keeping me most occupied. And that's a comic book. All the comics. <laughs> and, a, and a sweet cartoon, which I'm coming and to. And a sweet, sweet cartoon, yeah. So. yeah. We were talking about that show before the show, and because I showed Michael the voice cast, and he, he was like, holy crap, that's a lot of good voice actors. But we'll come back to that at some point during the show. Um, I want to ask, like, right from the beginning... Um, so regarding Savage Dragon, it's an iconic run at this point. We're okay. 269 issues. They're all written and all drawn by you. All right. Sort of, which we need to get back to at some point during the show. You know exactly what I mean. Um, with that, though, what made this the right time to begin the Ultimate Edition hardcover series? Because this is something that we are seeing more and more of in terms of the um, image and other independent titles. Uh-huh. When is it? When, when is the question? When what is it this, time to what, made, what made this the right time to do this? What, like, made, what this, made you uh, want to do this, this question series? Robert Kirkman said, "You need to put this thing out." <laughs> like, all right. Yeah, I think when Robert Kirkman's like, "Do this," yeah, it's like, "Hey, man, what are you doing? It's our thirtieth anniversary. Where's your book?" So it's like, all right, people have been asking about it for forever. People have been wanting some kind of a bigger, prettier version of it. The problem has been that and why I've been resistant to doing it is we didn't have the color files to a bunch of the early issues. So it needed to be recolored. That ended up being a long process. But it's all done now. So I will say though, having having seen the pages. I don't, I don't, Dunford, you can definitely confirm this right now. As you it's, can see this right now, it's, it's beautiful. It is the best <laughs> presentation it's ever been. I've been like drooling all over the pages all day. <laughs> Unfortunately, the paper quality is fine, so it can actually absorb the drool, which is you know, right. wonderful. Nice. Yeah, I advise everybody to do the same. Just drool on their comics. <laughs> <laughs> what is water damage anyway? Like? So, yeah, it ended up being a lot of work because we needed to recolor a bunch of stuff. And then once it was recolored, then I was like, oh, I want to go in there and start monkeying with it again. Because now's my time to get it all right. So did a little, little of that, uh, doing some sweetening coming in. There's, there's always inevitably color mistakes that work their way into stuff. So... It was like, okay, finally I can fix some of those. And then when you have something recolored, um, 
almost always there ends up being new coloring mistakes. So then you get to go and find those and fix those. And and I'll do my best proofreading now. So having not having looked, looking at the coloring looking at the coloring process that you've gone through with the book now compared to like the, the early digital coloring that we we're looking at an image back when they first started. Like in terms of the progress of it, in terms of software, obviously things have gotten just better overall. So you have new technology. It's it's a whole different program than than was being used by uh, Ole Optics, who did most of the coloring early on back in the day. Um, Things change, and everything is has progress right now. uh, Photoshop seems to be the state of the art. That's what most people are using. At the time, um, Holy Optics was using something called Cod Barrett, and he managed to get some marvelous things out of it, but it had some weird limitations. But at the time, Photoshop had even weirder limitations, so that's why they ended up doing the, the Cod Barrett thing. It's interesting because I was um, I was on a podcast and we were talking about it was all about X Men God Loves Man Kills, and they were talking about the coloring style of the book and they were talking about Steve Olaf, and they weren't they weren't necessarily aware like that the coloring work on that book was actually digital and what he had done with um, Akira, and I think it's one of those things where people don't realize how far back it actually does go in terms of the digital coloring technology that kind of started there and is still. Well, he, he was hand coloring stuff real early on. He yeah. started off doing that. He, he um, was like all that, all that um, Moon Knight stuff in the back of the rampaging Hulk. Didn't he color that stuff? I don't remember that top of my head, honestly. I don't, I don't remember, but he did, he did a lot of um, traditional coloring before he started becoming the guy for, um, for for doing the digital stuff, you're right because I'm like, looking at uh, this now. Co- he colored seven. Cosmic Odyssey. No, yeah. Cosmic Odyssey uh, over uh, Mike Mignola, and that stuff was all that wasn't digital yet. That was that was still uh, traditional. You're right because looking back at it, it was actually um, it was Akira was actually the first digital colored comic that he did, and he got approved by Marvel under Epic. yeah. Yeah, so that was that was real different. Yeah. And before that, even he was doing colored guides on stuff. He did color guides on uh, uh, Captain Victory back in the day. So he's yeah. been around a while, which was Pacific Comics and Jack Kirby and all that fun stuff. So yeah, he's been around many many years. And, and I uh, oh sorry. It's all right. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I do say that the colors on this book really do seem like an improvement, having read it in different incarnations and in different trades, the orig- and like mm-hmm. the big phone book style, which, you know, I, I will look through stories time and time again in different forms. But I have to say, this is the best I have seen it because it definitely shows the color work is really there and aligning well with the, the paper quality. And I think sometimes mm-hmm. when you have like reprints that are done in sort of like newsprint type of stuff. And if you try to go back and recolor them, it just doesn't line up correctly. But I think for me, this just seems like the perfect, perfect rendition <laughs> of 
And we'll remain until you come up with like a bigger slipcase edition or whatnot for a hundred dollars. I mean, I'll probably end up buying that one too. All right. Awesome. Yeah. Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> Next so, up. Oh, um, sorry. I was going to say, um, one of the things that Michael and I were talking about as we were going back and now, Michael, I can't remember. Was it, did you, had you read Savage Dragon before uh, the preparation for this interview or was it something that you really started getting into uh, as we were getting ready to do the show? So I'm feeling a little bit exposed right now. Uh, <laughs> really? I, I have to be honest. Um, I didn't read like Savage Dragon, uh, Prior to this, I'd been a little bit familiar with the character. I knew that there was a, a uh, animated series out at some point, mm -hmm. but and I guess this kind of um, I guess this kind of could turn into a little bit of a question here. But um, really, I, I grew up and I didn't start reading comics until I was in until about the late '90s or so, because that's when I started to you know get a job and get my own money. And you know, of course, one of the first things that I do is start to buy comics. Sure. So I kind of was like past like the like the the prime, not not necessarily the prime, but the you know the early days of Image when it was really like blowing up. So with that said, um, so what was your gateway how, drug? What, what got you into <laughs> comics? The well, I was I was a big nerd. I would uh, you know watch like the Batman animated series as I was growing up, watching X Men, uh, all that good stuff. And then the first two uh, trade paperbacks that I got were actually uh, the Dark Knight Returns and Earth X, which I feel were like two like really good like introductions to uh, you know the big two's universe, uh, especially Earth X because it covered all sorts of different things. But um, really, uh, what I wanted to ask is like because to me, I, I really just like learned about like Image and learned about um, you know, how you guys got started. Uh, mm -hmm. from like wizard and from you know stuff like that and you always hear about like the 90s comics being like extra dark and extra kind of like uh focused on the art versus the writing so mm -hmm. with that said um do you consider yourself because you do so many things and you wear so many hats do you consider yourself a writer first or an artist first or or what um there because i do both it it's kind of, I put on my taxes that I'm a cartoonist. It's, it's kind of both, both are working together. When I'm writing, I'm drawing is kind of how that works. So when I go and write stories, like right now, when I'm sitting here working on the next issue of Savage Dragon, usually I'm, uh, Usually I'll just go in and start drawing my story. And you and there's uh, these days it there's there's nothing written down. I just start drawing it. Yeah. Uh, I've seen so, a couple of uh, <laughs> interviews of yours where you make a similar remark. And really what I found interesting is and what I was telling Ian before we started the show was one of the things I kind of find so refreshing about you is you seem to not shy away from being critical of, uh, you know, not just yourself and like in a way that's, you know, uh, productive, but uh -huh. also kind of critical of some of the industry like trends 
because mm-hmm. I, I watched you throw out a sketch of Savage Dragon and you were remarking about how it's important not to overdo it with the line work and not to get too crazy with it. So I guess the question is, if you kind of get a sense as an artist of when you're overdeveloping something, do you feel like you have that sense as a writer too? Uh, I would hope so. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, more, more after the fact, you kind of look at it la- later on with a more critical eye and go, boy, I couldn't shut up that issue. What was it? What was I thinking? Do you have any issues that stand out like that to you? Uh, issue 92. <laughs> I have not read it. <laughs> it's been so long. No, I was, literally a, started I was just looking through that issue in particular, and I, I think it was 92. Jeez, now I don't even know. But um, there was one where I, where I just was yammering on so much and and it was looking at it as a lettered comic. So like, holy crap, man, I really needed to cool it there. Cause I just, there, there's just word balloons just completely taking over panels. And it's like, man, what are, you, what are you doing, buddy? Back off. So you basically turned into Kevin Smith for a minute. Yeah, I, I just <laughs> l- fell in love with the sound of my own voice. And that was the end of that. It kind of reminds me of one of the things you've talked about before where one of the things about Savage Dragon is you're never going to have a, an entire issue where two guys are talking in the back of it in the talk back talk in the back of a truck or something along yeah. those lines. Well, unless I do, in which case it'll be another thing entirely. Um, yeah. I mean, generally, generally not, but every now and then I'll be like, I'm going to see if I can do it. I'm going to do it, damn it. And, and I'll come up with some weird challenge for myself where I'll just decide, I, I got to try this out. I'm going to see if I can make this engaging. Because um, it is. It's, it, there are these challenges that I'll throw myself and I just will get in that, I'm going to try this out, see how it works. And sometimes it does. And sometimes it's like, oh, well, that was a mistake. But I think that's really the thing you have to do as a creator is just constantly challenge yourself because if you're not challenging yourself you're not making something interesting you know that it shows on the reader side yeah and you know there's various ways of doing that um and i've tried a bunch of them over the so uh eric what was what was the last time that you feel like you you really challenged yourself and you kind of like reflected on it and you're like you know what i i killed it i i i did a fucking amazing job on this well, I, I had an issue recently where I, I uh, my challenge was to draw it in the style of um, comic strips. So it was all in the form of Sunday, Sunday pages. So like first page, the splash page was based on a family circus, but it's, it's Dragon and his family. And then you turn the page and it's, uh, a double page spread, but it's set up like a uh, peanuts Sunday, and then you go from that to I don't even remember what order they were all in, but I covered a bunch of them. I did Popeye, I did Doonesbury, I did Foxtrot, I did Tumbleweeds, 
and Blondie and Calvin and Hobbes. And I'm just trying to ape every one of those styles throughout the story and make it so that the characters are yet still recognizable, even though they're drawn in the style of Chick Young or Charles Schulz or whatever. So and, um, that, it worked well, out pretty good <laughs> somehow. You look at the you look at it, the end result. You go, I know what strip he's he's doing a, a parody of, and then we colored it uh, with flat colors and and put on a faux newsprint kind of look. And I was pretty happy with the way that one worked out, but it took it. It, it took a long time to make that one work. Speaking of which, I realize I'm a dumb dumb because uh, I said that you was, your current issue was two sixty nine. One's actually two sixty two. If anyone wants to call me a dumb dumb in the comments, just you know, just have at it because I'm not going to. I think you just have sixty nine on the brain, Ian. Uh, <laughs> you got a vampirilla back there. That's just inappropriate, um, sir. <laughs> well. I mean, when we're on the subject of, you know, uh, quote unquote, drooling on comics, you just tell Jen that, you know, it's drool. It's drool on my Vampirilla comics. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah, that sounds legit. So speaking of not that at all, um, one, of the <laughs> I, one of the things that I discussed with Michael when he started reading Savage Dragon and being that I hadn't read the early issues in quite a while. Michael, like you said, this is the first time reading it. And Matt. Um, talking about how well, how basically the book just flows, especially compared to a lot of the early image books from that era. One of the things that I noticed that talking to you on social media, seeing everything you post, see what you post and such, and it's kind of who you are, it really does reflect it right at the beginning. Because one of the big things I noticed early on in Savage Dragon is race and its place among police and society. And I'm like, I forgot about that. This is not the thing that I expected to see. In Savage Dragon, and um, which is odd because when you consider the whole thing about the freaks and the metaphor for the freaks compared to the rest of humanity, um, so I got to ask you, what made you want to present and bring these real life issues extending to other social areas like real life politics, but specifically the fact that you do tackle race and police corruption right at the beginning? Can you talk <laughs> about that because nobody was doing that. Um, it just seemed, seemed natural for the book and, and it's sort of, you, you go where you, with stuff that you're interested in and just kind of take it from there. You know, I, a, a lot of the, I mean, a lot of the mainstream comics don't, can't deal much with race because they don't have that many characters that are, uh, that are anything but white. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of those characters are just, you know. The Daily Planet started off, everybody's white, and by George, they're all still white. Yeah, the, um, except, <laughs> if you're pink, except if you're a pink kryptonite, turns you gay. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. But I don't know. You know, it, it's there's a lot of stuff that I felt like I need I needed to tackle or I wanted to tackle and things I wanted to say. And and um, you know, the nice thing about doing a, a, a new book that's starting fresh is that you can um, address a lot of the problems that you see in other comics and get it get it right from the start. I mean, uh, when characters of color are introduced 
at, these days at Marvel in DC, you get people who who will be all like, "Oh, I can't." You guys are just shoveling your your social agenda on us and whatever. But if you do that from the start, as you're introducing characters and the characters happen to be black or happen to be Hispanic or, or whatever, then it's not, not as much of a deal because it doesn't feel like you're just shoveling all this stuff into an already white world. I started off with a world that was already integrated. And so it didn't seem quite so, so odd. It's and just because the first issue from 30 years ago, nothing like aside from like, who's the president, George Bush, nothing about this seems dated. Everything yeah. in here still is as relevant as ever and more poignant than ever. And it's, you know, I, I don't use the term very, very often, but instant classic. It still <laughs> retains itself and it still holds up three decades later. And if anything, still feels like it, it could just be, you know, speaking, still speaking to a modern audience as it was back then. And to think about cheese. Yeah. I mean, no, there's not as much cell phone use, but, but other than that. I'd rather see superhero battles and, you know, confronting social problems than cell phones. I, I think it's more exciting than that, than cell yeah. phones. Yeah. I'm just it's, saying in terms of, in terms of it being taking place now. Uh, yeah. There are, there are things you go, okay, this is a little dopey, but I don't know. I'm, I'm my own worst critic. I think on a lot of stuff. I, I keep, you know, you keep moving on and, and you look back at your old stuff and you're like, oh, it's so embarrassing. I can't believe I did this. And other people are like, what? that's my favorite thing. Why are you complaining about this? My, my favorite thing. The thing I appreciate, especially with new, with uh, new readers coming in now is that because you were talking about, you know, the basically what you referred to on social media as the original sin. Of Marvel making of Marvel and DC making basically everybody straight and white, yeah. um, and the thing that's kind of cool is that these characters uh, like Miss Marvel, uh, Kamala Khan, and other characters like her, and uh, Ironheart is that these characters are now like people forget that like she her character has been around for almost a decade, and the cool thing is we have new audiences coming in who are like, no, nah, these are the original characters. These are characters that have been around for ten, almost ten years now. And we're around when I started reading comic books. And it's kind of cool that because of that new readership that we're bringing in, both through readers and through people watching adaptations, they don't suffer that. They don't suffer that original sin, which is really neat. And something I do like about... Well, the thing, too, that when when you've got a a world where, you know, you've got this handful of characters that are... are, uh, you know, black or a handful of characters that are this way or that. Um, what ends up happening is they represent all black characters. And what you end up doing sometimes you can end up with is this kind of bland that, that has to, to happen because people don't want to risk offending anybody you know what I'm saying? Like, if you've got one black guy and he's a thief, it's like, that's bad news. But if you've got 40 black characters and one of them's a thief, nobody's going, 
you know, that's terrible because you've got all these other characters around that are filling up different kind of roles, you know, that, 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 that makes some sense. No, that does make sense. And that's one of the things like going back and reading Savage Dragon, there's such a broad range of ethnicities going into the book where it's like, this is a fully fleshed out reality, despite the fact that there are, are freaks running around and thin-headed superheroes and thin-headed yeah. super cops. I mean, like, you know, page one of the first issue of Savage Dragon, he's fighting um, Cutthroat. It's not page one in this new collection because <laughs> we shuffle the pages around. But in the original comic, the first page is, is Dragon launching himself at, at Cutthroat. Um, and, you know, Cutthroat's a black guy. Dragon's a cop, you know, and and that's you know it's still relevant to these to this day, but but the point is that uh, you know you once you get in the comic it's like oh but he's he's got a uh, Frank Darling who's a supporting character, um, his best friend, he's in there, um, he's also a black guy, and then you've got other other policemen who are in there who who are are various shades and it and it it's fine you know nobody's nobody's has ever nobody's ever accused me of of this kind of fake diversity that's just getting shoved down my throat um although i see people complaining about it when that when it happens in in other things but it's tough, right? Because right now, you know, they're trying to make movies of stuff and they're kind of somewhat grasping at straws in some cases going, okay, who's going to be our, our black guy? <laughs> who's going to be whatever? And they just don't have enough characters to be able to do something. The, um... So, uh, Eric, I wanted to ask you real quick, just as uh, a follow-up, because um, as, as far as I, can, as I know, um, I'm like the only non-white person in this conversation, so um, I, I just wanted to. Well, I yeah, I guess so. I don't. I don't see color, man. <laughs> okay, you definitely can't see it when I don't have my webcam on. So. I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's why I'm saying. <laughs> so uh, I just wanted to to ask you. Um, it, it's very interesting when you start to take a look at um, the evolution of comic book audiences and you know, the audiences now that are starting to digest more and more superhero and comic book media. So as you know, uh, the comic book audiences evolved like when the medium started versus when we, the explosion of like the Marvel Cinematic Universe started to get more people exposed. Do you find that it's that the whole fuss over, you know, supposed like wokeness or supposed, you know, forced diversity is the most disappointing thing about uh, what's happening in pop culture right now. I don't know if it's the most disappointing, but it certainly is disappointing. You know, it's like, come on, guys. But I, you know, yeah, these guys are all wake, uh, grown up with this stuff that 
this, their comics weren't like this, damn it, when they were kids. And suddenly it's, it's being forced down their throats. Right? I mean, the comics were never political, you know. That whole Richard Nixon <laughs> Captain America story. What was yeah, that? Yeah, like Captain America would never punch a German uh, Fuhrer or sorts. So there's no sort of politics there. Yeah. And yeah. I love the people who try to defend that. It's like, well, we were fighting against Hitler. It's like, not then we weren't. Not then we weren't. It's still like, oh, we can't go over there. Why? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. We're, we weren't the policemen of the world yet. Yeah, it was but, just, then we were attacked, but, and then it was like, hot dog, we're all in. But beyond even the most uh, like blatant examples of, you know, like like we, we bring up, you know, Captain America straight up punching Hitler, what always kind of boggles me a little bit is how anybody can really be a comic book guy, like somebody who reads like X-Men, somebody who reads Superman, and not really get the message to like be anti-immigrant but pro-superman doesn't make sense or to be like anti-diversity but pro-x-men doesn't make sense yeah so that's kind of why i bring it up is because that that always throws me off and i I imagine it's just as uh frustrating as as a creator because it's frustrating as a fan because i i don't want to be like associated with with, with these type of folk who respond to uh, these kind of changes and, and the adaptations in this way? Because it's like, how do you guys not get this? Yeah. Well, well Michael, what you don't realize like a- is that they're pro for a specific Superman that we just call the Ubermatch, yeah. not the Superman that we all like. Uh, yeah. Uh-uh. Sorry, Eric. <laughs> One of these days. One of these days, I'll do every one of those books, and I'll show them how it's done. <laughs> <laughs> There's something I want to ask you about because I saw I was I was reading I was reading up on your work leading up to leading up to leaving Marvel with the rest of the Image team. Now, one of the characters that I've always just kind of known in the back in the back of my mind that you're a huge fan of was Nova, mainly uh-huh. because you put Nova in everything that you did in Marvel. Like he just popped up and be like, "Hey, I'm Nova." I'm like, "All right, cool." Um, there was a, something I saw where you had actually you were supposed to do an a Nova series, and this could have actually led to you not being part of Image. Let's talk about that because that's a lot of people well, don't talk about. It, that. Yeah, I mean, I I put in a proposal for an ongoing series, and they were um, they were hesitant to do it basically. And so they said, well, we'll give you a mini series, but we won't commit to doing, uh, we won't commit to doing an ongoing. And so my thought was, well, if it's just going to be a mini series, let me try out this, this, this uh, image thing, see how that goes. And so I did that. And, uh, and never looked back really. I mean, it just, that, that worked out. So there was. So, <laughs> Eric, I'm going to, I'm going to ex- expose myself once more and just say that um, kind of in a similar way that I didn't really like uh, get into Savage Dragon. Uh, I, my first exposure to Nova was really like during the Annihilation event. And. Oh, no. 
yeah, like, yeah, it's like a lot of Nova stuff in it. He's really huge in it. Um, but I, I would just say, like, since you're such a huge like Nova fan, what what how what is your like approach to people when they say like, oh, I don't even know who Nova is? Do you just like freak out on them and just like, uh, oh, he's all this and all that? Nah, whatever. I mean, I I grew up at a certain time when. I, I grew up mostly reading comics in the 70s. So, I mean, I was born in uh, the tail end of 1962. So, uh, by the time I was reading comics, it was, it was the 70s. And most of those series had been going on for years and years and years. So, um, I didn't really get to start anything from the start. It was always, you're, you're starting a book, but... You know, my first Hulk is 156. My first uh, Fantastic Four was 140-something. You know, so these books were really far along by the time I got anywhere. So really, the, one of the appeals of Nova was simply, oh, I can buy the first issue and be in on the ground floor of this exciting new character. And then that book ended up lasting just a little over two years and that was the end of that so and uh, i also love your uh love of nova as well because when i first got into comics 30 years ago that first stack of 30 spider-man comics uh you were very represented properly with some of the issues there there's spider-man and nova battling the tricentinal there's uh spider-man teaming up with beast and, uh, you know, Return of the Sinister Six. And it's like my first time actually seeing these, these characters. And uh, even more, like, uh, the thing that really sent chills down my six-year-old spine is the first time <laughs> I witnessed a character's death in comics. You drew it. When you had oh. Dr. Octopus snap a guy's neck with this off-screen, like, and uh, to show you I'm not joking, and just snaps a guy's neck off camera. That was the first yeah. time I ever witnessed anyone being killed in a comic oh, and wow. it was just you know made me want so much more and here i am three <laughs> years later still you know still slightly traumatized by it but i'm still very much you know it, the, you it, didn't kill anybody sense. you didn't kill anybody you knew was the thing i know but it's just like oh wow <laughs> that was awesome and it just, <laughs> right. made me just so much more intrigued that like comics could be real in a way that the cartoons that I was watching on TV uh, just could not be. And I think that just, you know, compelled me to be, in, big in, me, to be a bigger comic book reader. And it, it's, it's so amazing that I get to see artwork uh, from your pages. Now, like the Comic-Con Museum, they've got all these double page spreads from Return of the Sinister Six on display. And did you ever so think cool. of your... And it's like, I mean, how does that feel now that there are museum galleries dedicated to your work? It's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I thought it was all right. Yeah, and of course, you gave me that love of Nova too. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have discovered Nova had it not been for you. I was following it because of you. Oh, cool. Yeah, just spreading the love, just trying to make yeah. it happen. So yeah, I, I feel like everybody remembers the first time that they they saw something like that, and the first time they saw somebody die in the comics, or like the first time you saw blood in a cartoon. 
Like for me, I think it was like a uh, mask of phantasm. Is when I saw <laughs> blood in the cartoon for the first time. Wow. I don't yeah. know that I have yet. Oh, I guess itchy and scratchy, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, no, no, that, no, that's raspberry jam. According <laughs> to the um, I, was, I was actually going to mention gargoyles. Like when you watch the episode where they cut Goliath's hand, you see blood kind of. I'm like, this is a Disney cartoon in the middle of the afternoon. This is awesome. But um, you mentioned, speaking of Spider Man. Uh, looking so, looking back at your time on Spider-Man, it's interesting because you've talked about how it's not Spider-Man wasn't necessarily a character that was near your wheelhouse, but looking at Spider-Man specifically, the Michelini run, and of course, Revenge of the Sinister Six, which is one of my favorite comics since I was a kid. Yeah. Um, if you guys, do you guys remember those like cardboard things that they would have at like grocery stores that they would have like a story arc of comics with like the first couple issues? That's how I got that story. My dad got it for me when I was like a little kid. And so I read all of Revenge of the Sinister Six in one night. And for me, that was, for me, especially being like seven, I'm like, this is the most awesome thing in the world. <laughs> um, but um, it, it still is. Oh, it's still as badass. Like rereading it, I'm like, this is still a blast. Um, <laughs> the, um, but with that, after having worked on the book and becoming such an iconic part of your career, you kind of, in a way, leading to, um, Cyber Dragon. When you look at the um, the, I can't remember the name of the robot character. The X, looking at X and then looking at Super Patriot, it really felt like a prototype for no pun intended for the Super Patriot. But well, um, it would have been him. It was going to be him. It was going to be Super Patriot, although he was called something different. Um, Fabian, Fabian Nicieza, Nicieza, however you pronounce that guy's name. <laughs> Was had set up a story. We had put in a pitch to do um, X Factor. We were gonna, we were gonna wanted to do that. So we were one of many people who put in a pitch for that. And uh, one of the things we wanted to do was to introduce um, Super Patriot. But at the time, he was going to be an updated version of uh, a character called Crimson Commando. Oh yeah. So Fabian had done a story that ran in the back of the X annuals that year. And he set up completely uh, that character getting his arms blown off or whatever had needed to happen so he could become this cyborg character. And, and then I was going to introduce him in uh, that story. And the editor was like, no, he's, we can't have a guy with a flag on his face shooting up a mall. That, that's, that's, no, that's no good. Which it's, is funny because we're going to get angry letters, you know, people yeah. do all sorts of stuff. So it was too controversial. So um, I just designed some other dude. And and was it and that enabled me to be able to use that design later on as Super Patriot. So I got. So Ian, I think that you're looking this up right now. But uh, was that before or after Nuke, though? Um, Nuke was actually created before because Nuke was yeah. Yeah. part of um, um, you know, Miller, I'm a terrible fan. The um, yeah, born again, born again, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm like. I would have been like Marvel, so this is okay, but that's not. 
Yeah, but it's a different editor, and there'll be like one editor will be like, this guy thrives on controversy, and this guy and and another editor will be like, no, 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 we can't do that. So whatever, just luck of the draw. Uh, I got a guy who didn't want to didn't want to rock the boat in that way. So it's like you know whatever, I don't care. So it's it worked out really well for me. So it really did. I I can't complain at this point because it's like oh thanks for that because i I was able to use this dude thanks to you so in retrospect though because what we're what i was going to ask regarding spider-man earlier you came in with this character not necessarily in your wheelhouse kind of like when you did your punisher run early on but Mm -hmm. um considering the impact that that spider that that spider-man had on the book how do you feel about the character now kind of looking at it oh i mean i i like the character quite a bit um i just didn't feel like i was the guy for the job really i didn't think i was like that that was that lent itself to my strengths but i did the best i could with it it is it is interesting though because like looking back at it um specifically with the revenge of the sinister six story because that was one of the themes that i reread and asked um matt and michael to reread before we did the show um the reason for that is very much your swan song. Like you, unlike um, a certain creator, Tom McFarlane, um, who just completely <laughs> swore off coming back to Marvel. Like people tend to forget that you, um, that you, um, Lee Liefeld, uh, a lot of you guys actually did come back with stories every once in a while. It wasn't it wasn't all the time, but there were yeah. those stories there. You got your Nova series in 1999, um, but. Um, if this really did feel like your swan song, I've got to ask, is that the case? Cause in terms of the way you chose the characters, cause this book rereading it, it feels like this is Eric being like, I'm wrapping my Spider-Man. These are the characters I want to use before I leave. These are the story I want to <laughs> no, tell. I, wasn't I, I, I was fully anticipating that I would be doing, that I'd be back doing something at some point. I didn't know, you know, the, the, the future is uncertain. Certainly at the, at the time, it was, let's try this thing out and see how it works. And we didn't know that it was going to be successful. You hoped it would be. But uh, I just wanted to, to, you know, before I went and did my image stuff, I, I kind of wanted to do, do a big, cool story. Mostly I just wanted to do a cool story. That was yeah. really the whole, the whole thought there was... Just, and it definitely was a cool story, and it really, you know, inspired kids, uh, six-year-old boys like me who grow into, you know, 37-year-old men and uh, are, still have an amazing fondness for what you did. Well, cool. It's, I'm, I'm happy for that. Yeah, like, going back and reading it, like, it's funny because we talked about, you've talked about before how Punisher was always, really wasn't necessarily the character for you, but, you know, it was work. It was consistent work. And almost, yeah. like, looking at... I know it's not so funny to say because not a lot of people talk about solo nowadays, but looking at solo, I'm like, this is a lot more like like Larson's version of this character. And knowing the kind of almost satirical, like like the almost satirical edge you tend to put into a lot of your books, like solo basically felt like, what the hell, Punisher? You're a crazy man. Here's why you're crazy. I'm like reading that as an adult, I see that. Whereas a kid, I'm like, oh, it's a cool guy with guns. 
Yeah. I mean, he's not, uh, I mean, David Nicolini is the, he he sort of did did more of the creation on that. I was just like a guy who who, uh, was drawing it, I thought. Um, that was, that was at least what I thought going into it was uh, completely befuddled here. <laughs> I just lost my train of thought. Um, but Nickel, that character had been introduced kind of in an issue of Web of Spider-Man prior to that. He was yeah. he was shown from the back. He was knocked out red. He was all colored completely red, so you didn't know what color his actual costume was. And he had appeared for one panel. Um, so he would have existed in some form with or without me. When I came on uh, Spider-Man, my first kind of as a regular guy, I was off and on the book is the thing. I did a fill-in really early on, and then they needed a fill-in on, on Todd's run, and I did a fill-in there. Um, Todd was running late, as, as he was known to do. And um, so I did my fill-in issue before he did the issue that came out before it. So I was actually went up and visited Todd and, and uh, he and, and actually penciled a little bit of the issue before <laughs> over at his place because he hadn't drawn in the solo yet. And so I went in and, and penciled in some solos in various places. And then he inked it and all, it all looked like Todd by the time he was done with it. Um, but yeah, so when you, when you talk about, you know, conceptually solo, he wasn't my concept. He was, that was Michelini. So me, mostly it was me trying to design a character that I thought looked cool and uh, did did what I could with that. I gotta ask, because like when you and I last did the shows, basically it was a one-on-one interview and it was 2016 and since then, of course, the Spider-Man game came out on the PlayStation 4. And <laughs> since then... I, 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 I have not played this game, so... <laughs> but did you... Did, did you? I'm, I'm assuming you're aware that the Cyborg Spider-Man design, Spider-Man in his cast... Was actually is actually a playable skin in the game. It's actually you could play as him in the game. I'm I'm vaguely aware of that. Uh, and they don't send me games. They don't send me checks. So that's just okay. You know, some I'm, usually I hear about it from somebody who's playing the game. They'll be like, "Oh, that's cool. They did this. Did you get paid all kind of money for that?" It's like, no, I didn't. But. uh yeah, no, it's that's cool. Because it's kind of neat because it's caused like I've seen people like cosplay that cosplay that particular design now. I've seen oh, wow. of like action figures that. and a pop figure. And like it's cool seeing this character that I remember from one issue as a kid. And now because of that, we're seeing I'm seeing the character in like a pop figure, I've seen a Marvel Legends figure, and I'm like, this is so cool. Why could not have had this back then? Oh, I'm sorry. What was that? You guys are talking over each other. Yeah, and don't forget the Toy Biz figure from uh, 1996. Yep. Well, I know you, I'm assuming that you own that, Dunford. I would be disappointed if you didn't. 
oh yeah, I've got it. Of course, I do. like I, you know me, I'm a, I, I, I'm a stickler for everything. So if I if I adore it, I have to have it in every single form and be like, oh, and that's just my reading copy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a reading toy. Yeah, and uh, speaking of reading, uh, Eric, I want to ask you about uh, a collaborative experience about what has got to be my favorite issue uh, that you've done in recent years. It was the Little Savage Dragon story that was drawn that was drawn by Scott Shaw. Uh-huh. Oh my God, that was so much fun! It's like you know what? Because you know, it's when you hand the reins of your character to someone else to draw, and you're in the writing seat. It's like you know how how does that uh, go for you? Because it's like I know not everyone wants to hand over their 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 baby to someone else, or baby dragon in this case, uh, to someone. But it's well, like he you know, just kind of did whatever the hell he wanted to. He, he uh, I, I don't even know if I gave him any, uh, any um, guidelines to that at all. Because it's, I mean, it's if it's baby dragon, if you know the dragon's origin or whatever, it's like, okay, this this isn't in continuity, so do whatever the hell you want, man. Yeah. Have fun. And it was so much fun. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. Love it. Scott's uh, Scott's awesome, awesome guy, and I I love his work. Yeah. So, yeah. so speaking of which, speaking of collaboration, there's a story that I love that I've I've told many people, even if they are not don't seem to be particularly interested, they want me to leave. <laughs> um, and that's regarding the completion nature that I'm as a reader, of course, I admire about you as a creator that you're like, I have to do every issue of the Savage Dragon series. Yeah. Um, and back in, um, back in early on, it was issue 13. Um, you and the other image creators basically did an artist swap for one month. So yeah. Like Todd McFarlane did Cyber Forge, Mark Silvestri did Spawn. Um, and then you did an issue of Wildcats and Jim Lee did an issue of Savage Dragon, Savage Dragon number 13. Yeah. Tell, tell everyone about this because this is a comic that was published <laughs> twice and people need to know why this comic was published twice because I love this story. Well, I wanted to do every issue. I, I It didn't even occur to me at the time that I could have just done a separate thing. I could have just done, let's do your issue as Savage Dragon number X and leave it at that. Not even, not even monkey with it. But instead, it's like, okay, everybody else is trading books. I guess I I don't want to be the, the the stick in the mud who doesn't trade books. So we all traded. Everybody did everybody else's stuff, and um, and then I, and then afterward, it was like, God, I really wanted to keep my run intact. <laughs> you know, it was like, God, why did I why did I do this? And then and then it came about that I was like. Oh, I really should have established this earlier than now. I'll bet I, I, I bet I could work in a story that takes place during that time and just fill this in. And so, so I did you did you end up writing it in a way that you're like, okay, that was fun, but it didn't count. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I don't I ignore it for the most part. It, it's it's not part of my continuity as far as I'm concerned. Um, and it's fine. It's a, it's a, it's a comic book. It, it works all right, but it's, it's kind of more of a grifter story than it is a Savage Dragon story to begin with. And then when I did his, his Wildcats, 
I'd stuck my characters in in there. So I, actually, we both own issues of comics. The other guy's comic, Jim Jim Lee or uh, DC, I guess, owns that issue of Savage Dragon, and I own an issue of, of Wildcats. So. Well, that uh, brings me to uh, another question that I had, and it's really, I guess, taking it back towards the earlier days of Image. And it just, you know, on top of uh, what can I only imagine was the daunting task of, you know, striking out on your own. Um, yeah. And you guys are developing your own uh, comic books, you're developing your own universes, essentially. Um, how did you and the rest of the founders really balance being, you know, kind of, you, you kind of said, I can get the sense that you're talking about it, that you guys are a little bit competitive. How do you uh -huh. balance being these competitive creators with still trying to be supportive of each other and be supportive of the overall company? Um, I, I, I'm not very competitive. So... I just, I try, I was, I was very much in the, we want, I want this company to be as good a company as it can be. So whatever I can do to support that, um, do the, I'm all, I'm all about that. So I was, I was not that guy. That was more, I, I would say there's probably more Rob and Jim than, uh, than anything. I think the rest of us were just trying to make the, the comics as, as best as we're able to do that. Um, yeah. And I guess that kind of uh, me, like having that perception uh, that there were some big personalities there is just kind of like I was saying before, it's like a byproduct of me uh, reading about the, the founding and developing of the company through things like wizard where maybe, uh, you know, the budding of heads might have gotten sensationalized. There but, wasn't um, a huge amount of, of budding heads that I can really remember. I mean, occasionally one of them would do something that would bother the other one. Like uh, Jim Lee did a group called Stormwatch at one point, and Rob was pretty convinced that they were a thinly veiled version of uh, Youngblood. And it's like, all right. So he's he was getting he got a little bent out of shape about that, which is but, so weird because the teams are nothing alike. Yeah, but they're both government super teams, and you know, teams always have there's there's a big guy and whatever. It's like, I mean, there's there's stuff if you if you look for it, and if you yeah. want it to be there. I mean, I've I've heard when when uh, John Byrne did uh, net. Uh, what is it? Next man. There's like a bunch of different people. Like, oh, that's just a, that's just the DNA agents with a different name. Oh, that's just whatever with a different name. And there are a bunch of different people going. No, it's it's accusing him of of ripping off their characters when the reality is, you know, you put a team together. You don't want everybody looking like the same guy. So we're gonna have a big guy. We're gonna have there be a male and there's going to be some females and, and you know, there, most teams fit this, this very similar model. All right. 
That's I was cool. podcasting by motorcycle. Sweet. Yeah. I remember when I was a motorcycle. Awesome. <laughs> um, it is funny you mentioned Next Men because one of the things that stood out to me reading it is like, huh, talk about her ginger Canadian uh, with a team called Next Men. I don't know who he's talking about. Mm-hmm. It's like literally <laughs> X Men. Okay. Yeah. That, that, that I told I was I told my um I told my girlfriend about that part. And she's like, wait, what? They just put the, he just put that in there. I said, yeah, it's funny. Yeah, I could do parody and I could yeah, I could do all kinds of stuff. I can do whatever there's, I want to, man. There's a there this actually ties into uh, Michael's question because one of the things that I thought was really cool going in, because I I had, I was primarily a Spawn kid um, when the, during the whole Image Comics, because I, mean, I probably shouldn't have been reading Spawn in junior high, but it seems like that was a target audience for a lot of the Image titles. Um, oh, yeah. But um, until my mom read some of them, and then she took them away for a while. Uh-huh. And then, um, but um, <laughs> going back, I remember a particular issue where you see Spawn you've seen a bunch of TVs and you see an image of Savage, Savage Dragon. Yeah. And I was, I was really cool because I'm like, oh, dude. Because I knew their image characters, but the, the idea that they were all creator-owned never struck me. I was like, oh, they're both the same universe, like Marvel. Um, yeah. And now, reading it as a... When I started getting older, I'm like, wait, they own all these characters. And they're popping up each other's books. And rereading Savage Dragon, I love that you create that scene where you not only do you have the fight between um, Savage Dragon and Bad Rock, but you also have that you recreate. I don't know if those issues came out at the same time. If yeah, this was this year it's around the, around the same time. But when you when when you see the same image drawn by both of you of him at the TV, you seeing Savage Dragon at the TV in front of the store, seeing Savage Dragon, I'm like, this is cool. And I gotta ask about that because there's all sorts of stories about how. You, about how this was almost like almost like a handshake verbal agreement kind of deal of the, oh, yeah, very much the characters yeah, talk we, about that <laughs> well we we could do yeah the, all that stuff nobody ever did a contract nobody came up with anything people weren't uh, uh, doing work for hire or anything that was pretty crazy so we were just all just yeah, you use my guy, I'll use yours, and we'll call it beautiful. You can reprint your story as much as you want. I can reprint mine. Sounds good. And and that was, it was just a handshake. And a, hope, hopefully this all works out. Uh, and then, you know, it's gotten to be a little problematic down the road. This stuff will come up where, uh, you know, like Sam Keith, did a cartoon of the Max, and but Sam Keith can't uh, couldn't use um, couldn't use Mako in there, and although he had Mako show up in his comic, but he couldn't use him in there because we were doing this, the Savage Dragon cartoon, and Mako was in there, and so there ended up being some contractual like. You know, Universal didn't want to let it do it or whatever. So um, he had to come up with a new shark dude for the cartoon to take the place of uh, Mako. Yeah, because as a kid, I was always like, I remember Mako being in there, 
I don't remember the name. And then I'm like, okay, this makes so much sense now. It's like, it's Shark Guy, everyone's favorite. But yeah, um, <laughs> yeah I mean, it's it's funny because like you go back and you look at um, the much maligned uh, Spawn movie, and how all of a sudden Chapel isn't there. And yeah. just this new character. And I'm like, huh, that's weird. It's like, oh, okay, because studios are not going to do that. They're not going to angle that for their $30 million movie. I don't remember what the budget was. Yeah, it's, a lot of this stuff gets complicated just because, you know, while we may cooperate with each other, um, these guys aren't going to cooperate with each other. So, you know, like, oh, let's just, let's just have the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles show up. That'll be awesome. I thought that was so cool. Like going back and looking you know, at that. I, got, I had a buddy who, who I had known for years and he was working at, at Mirage at the time. And Mirage, you know, that stuff wasn't owned by anybody but Eastman and Laird. So uh, we could just make that happen. And that was really a handshake deal again. And, you know, did it twice. And then I wanted to do it a third time years later. But by then... Viacom was involved and they owned it and they're like, oh, we're doing a crossover with something else at the same time that you want to do this. So can we do it sometime later? And then it's like, you know, the window is passed. Speaking of awesome story, and <laughs> Say it again, Dufford. I said it's still an awesome story and I love that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles campaign. It's yeah, still no, was, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Um, speaking of which, speaking of creator own characters, because that's really the, of course, ongoing thing both with Image and our whole conversation tonight. Um, you had in the last couple in the last couple of years, you had actually acquired um, the character Ant from yeah. uh, Mario Gully. What yeah. happened there? Because I, it just popped up, and I'm like, wait, what? Ant's back, and he's yeah. drawn by Eric Larson. So yeah. and it was great. Yeah, <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Yeah, that weird. Yeah. So what happened? Was it just I buy your character or what or was there more behind yeah. that? Yeah. Um, well, how how that came about is um, that Mario had come to Image years and years ago. Uh, he, had, he had pitched Ant to Image. And I think at, initially Image was like, that's not happening. Uh, so he did it over on at Arcana, over over there, and then um, he and then when I became the publisher, he pitched it to me, and I always thought that was a cool looking character, but um, he had sent me what he had, had was doing, and I thought the problem is this character doesn't exist in, in any kind of real world. It's a figment of this of this little girl's imagination, and as stories go, I didn't. While I thought her story was compelling, as a superhero, it didn't really. It doesn't work super well to have your uh, main character exist only as drawings in a kid's uh, diary, because. The, you know, Ant is never in danger in any of those stories because she's just drawings. The kid can get in danger, but Ant herself can't. Um, so we had this conversation of, 
when he was pitching it here and I was going, you won't be able to have Ant meet Spawn. You won't be able to have Ant meet Savage Dragon. You won't be able to do a lot of stuff that actually matter and pertain to the character. You know, so we talked a lot about how it would need to change in order for it to be able to work within uh, within Image Comics and be part of Image. Um, and so we had just had a lot of conversation and I did uh, some cover, cover sketches for him for the first couple issues. And we had talked extensively and he went and he did the book and it came out and initially did really well. And then it got later and later and eventually uh, the book was canceled. The, his, he just uh, wasn't selling well enough for whatever the reason was. And he went off and he did, did some stuff over at Marvel a little bit and stuff elsewhere. And then Ant got revived someplace else or was going to or something. I don't remember how that whole thing worked. But at one point, he had uh, contacted me about something, taking the character somewhere. I said, you should, you should at least finish your story. You had this story that you'd started um and he just kind of left it mid-story and it didn't, didn't conclude at all and he had drawn these seven pages to it to the next story but he's like i don't know how i could finish this thing off in 22 pages it's just there's too much going on um so i said well how about this i'll I'll, I'll write an ending to your story. Send me the seven pages. So he sent me these seven pages. And then I did layouts for him of, okay, here's the 13 pages that come after that. Bam. It wraps up the story and everything's ready and ready to go. So I sent him that and then he promptly didn't get it done. And so I waited and waited and waited. And then, uh, and then eventually he's like, ah, well, I had a falling out with the, with the writer who owned one of the characters that was in my old Ant series. So, you know, we can't use this character in this story anymore. And I lost those seven pages, the, the digital files, you know, that was a computer ago or whatever. So now it's like, could you, could you lay out seven more pages that bridge the other issue with this, but not have that other character be in here. So then I, it's like, oh, holy crap, I've got this other dilemma. So I laid out that and uh, sent it to him. And I was like, all right, is this going to happen? And it just, he didn't get around to actually doing the stuff. And then more time passes, more time passes. And then he contacted me and he says, uh, well, I need to sell my character. I got an offer from some somebody else. He had done it, done some more ant stuff elsewhere, and somebody had offered to to buy the character from him. But he said, "But I know you put a lot of work into this, and I know you've always liked this character. So if you want to buy her for the same amount of money that the other guy says he'll buy her for." I'll just sell her to you. And so I was like, all right, done. <laughs> and I just, so I bought the character from him 
And initially he was going to draw, oh, and I owe you that story. we got to do that. And a couple of years passed and he didn't do it. And I ended up going, That's, that was that issue 12 that I did last year, the year before, something like that. Yeah. So. Wow. Just because I'd had the layouts and like, I, I, I want to finish this story. I had these layouts all this time. Let me do it. And, and then. And then I ended up owning this character, and then it was, okay, well, what do I do with her? Uh, and eventually I did a book with her. So that worked out. And that's been really good because you've always just, because you've just been such a workhorse all these years, like able to do, I think at your peak, where what were you doing? Like, I think three books. Uh, like I in was the early doing three books a month at one point, And that was, that was not it's like, day. it's like, it's that, that kind of work <laughs> is just insane that it's like, it was all over the board. You're doing your own stuff. You're doing other people's stuff. You're commission work. Like yeah. it, how do you, and, and then on top of that is still like the, you know, official stuff at uh at image because that's another thing i've always wondered about is how does the day-to-day -day at image work because now you're the chief financial officer and i know you also rotate oh those are those are those titles are ceremonial oh okay okay because i'd always been oh, wondering yeah, there's about no there's no day-to-day -day being the chief financial officer but gotcha. when we set up a corporation uh we had to have the certain certain tasks we needed to have like, okay, this is you, you do this, this is, and, and people just like, I want to be this, I want to be that. It's like, <laughs> all right, whatever. And I don't give a shit. So it's like, what, what, what do you got? What's left? Well, we need somebody with this. Okay, fine. Yeah. You know, but Todd wanted to be president. And I don't know what, what everybody is. I don't even know. I have, I have a quick question to ask you because there was a story, I probably heard this wrong. It was somebody I heard as a kid that you, there was a Spider Man comic that you drew in like a, not even a day, but like eight hours. Is this a real thing? No. No. There's one oh. I did in eight days. There you go. Eight days. Eight so, days which is reasonable. kind of insane. Eight hours is a little tight. <laughs> is, is it weird? I could, is it weird realistically? I could actually be like with the stories I know about you, be like, yeah, you could have done that. <laughs> that would have been that would have been quite the accomplishment if I could do that. It'd be pretty bare bones. Yeah. I could do it, but it would it would be pretty bare bones. It's a squiggly line to stick faces. Yeah. See, he's Spider Man. He has lines on his face. Boom, Spider Man. I'm yeah. done. <laughs> I because I've done I've laid out stories for other people before, and they're it's kind of rough, as as you would think. Um, but those go pretty quick. So I could I could lay out something, but it's it wouldn't be very good. So earlier we were talking about the um, kind of the kind of the like the ins and outs of working in a group like Image, you know, the, like the crossovers, the characters, the potential for competition for certain people in Image. Um, Michael, you actually had a question that you and I had discussed before. Talk about the uh, legacy of creator of creator of comics, especially with the success of properties like The Walking Dead. Did you want to go into that further? Yeah. Um, so 
first of all, like as I was doing some some research about you, uh, Eric, I, I noticed that you did have a, a birthday recently. So first of all, uh, happy belated birthday! Oh, like uh, <laughs> you, you, you've got this nice rounded, uh, you know, sixty. 60 age plus, you know, the age of uh, image is, you know, is 30 years old now. So mm -hmm. I, I guess looking back on the legacy of it and what it meant for it's creators It's crazy to, to think, <laughs> crazy right? to think that, that image is now half my age. So but, with yeah. that said, um, do you feel like um, because of you, have seen success of certain creator-owned comics like The Walking Dead, Kind of just like take a take off and, and break out of the noise of the big two and stand out on its own do you feel like that is a good example or do you feel as if the industry because of image is is where you wanted it to be or where you imagined it to be when you decided to strike out and make a creator creator own company um i was i wasn't anticipating that we would be doing so much such a a diverse kind of content. Uh, I know that we were criticized early on for just doing superheroes, but I uh, I thought we would do more superheroes <laughs> than than we've ended up doing. Um, but it's I mean it's it's cool that it that it exists, and I'm glad that people have been able to to do their own thing. I would like to be able to have there be more stuff that I could. Uh, bounce back and forward with you know I, I like to be able to do more of those scenes like I did early on when Bad Rock shows up or Spawn shows up and stuff like that at this point there's not really there's not really a lot of characters that I could pull into Savage Dragon that I haven't pulled into Savage Dragon already it'd be nice to so Early, a little bit earlier, we I don't were know talking if I about answered your question at all. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhat, like... <laughs> but we're, I'm gonna. So right, I'm gonna bring it home. I'm gonna bring it home. So right. when we're talking about um, earlier, when you were talking about some like the more like disappointing things, and about like how people come up to you um, and ask you like, hey, like you know, we saw this character did so well, and you know how that ties into you know uh, Kirkman having his success with The Walking Dead. And seeing how so much of the pop culture is being more dominated by the mainstream, you hear about these stories about uh, artists whose whose work really influences some of like the promotional work or some of the stories that are really making these characters blow up. Like perhaps one of the bigger examples is is when uh, with, with She-Hulk recently. With the covers being used with the promotional work uh, especially on the disney plus banners and all that good stuff but not hearing about a lot of uh financial uh you know kickbacks or anything like that to the creators who are really making these characters blow up the way that they are would you say maybe that's the most disappointing thing well i mean disappointing financially to to the creators but those guys of Marvel and DC, they've always done that. This, this, not, this isn't anything new. They've been giving creators the shafts and Siegel and Schuster. I mean, 
<laughs> they've got a long history of screwing people over. So yeah, definitely. the fact that, the, that are, they're still doing it, it's like, <laughs> that's a testament to their stick to Well, the crazy, like, and, and you mentioned Siegel and Schuster, and people don't realize it wasn't until like the 70s when Neil Adams, that he was that he was the guy who was like, no, you need to pay these people. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Yeah, because like, and that's the thing, like, people talk about Neil Adams and remember him as an artist, but people forget how much he really did push for creator rights when nobody else was doing it, like back in the yeah. 70s. Yeah, well, I mean, it's 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 pretty easy to fuck people over in this industry because there are so many people who are just sitting there who's the, who've always dreamed of drawing Spider-Man, you know? Sell them on the dream. So, yeah, and that's it. It's like, oh, I always wanted to do this guy. I mean, luckily, we're in a situation now where there are people who grew up with our stuff. So there are people who their their dream was to be able to create their own character, you know, to create their own Walking Dead or create their own, you know, Spawn, Savage Dragon, what have you. Yeah, I was <laughs> taking a look at some of your other interviews and uh, other things that you had said about how you started to create your own comics and um, how you essentially made use of, I think it was like an old, like, printing press or something that was in like your dad's garage or something like that yeah we we well my dad was a teacher and he taught um taught workshops on various things and uh so he he bought this uh offset press so that he could print uh literature for uh for whatever classes he was teaching and and then it became oh i bet i could do my own comics on this and that's how that came about. But I had I had done a story that I, uh, um, you know, I wanted to break into comics, and I had drawn a story for intended for a, a publication called um, Charlton Bullseye, which Charlton Comics was putting out, and their whole thing was uh, they were a comic book company that was going down. They were they were uh, uh, on their way out, and uh, so what they did was they they had this book where they're like, "Well, we won't pay you any money to do this book, but you get to own your own character, you get to own your own company, you know, copyright all this stuff, um, and we'll send you a bunch of comics of the printed comic when it's done." And you'll get your stuff in print. So a bunch of guys who were aspiring uh, creators just pitched them all sorts of stuff. And they had published, I think it ended up going 10 issues. Um, but I was like, this is this is it. I want to be able, I wanted to own my own character. I created the dragon when I was a little kid. So I'd had my own stories that I wanted to do. So I just did a story for him and then uh, was informed, oh no, we uh, that book was canceled. It wasn't doing well enough. And so I had had that story. And so when a couple of buddies wanted to, to do their own fanzine, I was like, well, I've got something for it ready to go. 
that sounds awesome. And, yeah, and, and we and we had the printing press, so I had the means to do it. And so it just flowed from there. So, so one it, of the things that I tend to tell people uh, that makes it a little bit more difficult to make it these days is, is it's more difficult and easier at the same time yeah, because you have the internet, you have the internet, you have all these tools. So uh, my question is what kind of advice would you give to somebody who is looking to break into comics? Like how do you like get above the noise? What, what are the best, like, um, I guess, like who would you gear towards? Like who would you uh, direct your energy towards in terms of like the industry? Are there any like, Obviously, there's image, but um, yeah, obviously well, there's image. Um, you just, just, I would say, just make comics, period, and and don't even worry about it. Just start making comics, and and you know, if you put them online, uh, people will find that stuff, and then they'll share it with each other, and then it'll get circulated, and, and there you go. It's, it's so much easier now than it ever was. It's so easy to direct somebody to your, to your website or just post stuff on, on Facebook. But I think more than anything, it's just you need to show that you can, you can do some work. So do some work and just, you know, you, you, you get to own your own stuff right out of the gate. So don't even worry about it. Just make your own comment. There's nothing stopping anybody. Is the awesome part about it is you is you just can just do that now. Something something I want to talk about before um, it kind of I realized that because I, I I picked up this comic back in 2020 and reading it um, because I remember when Marvel first did the end and what the end for those who don't know. The end was a series of either one shots or mini series. In the case of Chris Claremont, because Chris Claremont, as my um, as my girlfriend says, is he is a he's just very loquacious. Which is true. His 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 one shot of the end turned out to be a twenty four eighteen issue comic book series. Um, yeah. It's supposed to be a one off or mini series, um, and they brought this back recently. And the whole concept is that this is the story of this character's death. Yeah. And you did the end of Captain America number one back in 2020. And I picked it up because I hadn't been reading Captain America at the time, but I just really have always been a big fan of your work. And I'm like, oh, it's Larson doing Captain America. This is going to be interesting. And I'm reading it. And I'm like, this is everything Larson kind of summed up in one single comic book. Because you have the superhero action, but then you have the social satire, and then you have... The you have cap punching Nazis to the highest degree, and you have an environmental you have the our damage to the environment over time turning everyone into red skulls. Yeah, and can we talk about this? Because <laughs> people need to know about this comic, and I don't know if people seem to know about this comic because yeah, it's like it, close it, to the it, can. It's a wonderful story, and the problem is people talked about it, but they talked about the wrong element of it. It was the Captain America created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby at the end, and that's what got people talking, but they're not talking yeah. about the quality of the story. In there. So, yeah. so please please talk about this a little bit. For those, for those <laughs> who don't know, because this is one of my favorite things, and people oh, need cool. to have actually read it. Well, um, 
I mean, that was a situation where the editor called me and said, hey, you want to do this thing? He knew me through Savage Dragon and knew my work. And uh, so he, he knew I was a, a Jack Kirby fan. And so he thought you'd be perfect for Captain America. I know you, I know you like the dude. So that's kind of what it came about. It was, it was due to, uh, due to him. Is it just felt like an uncompletely unrestrained Eric Larson writing, writing a Captain America story. And I, I greatly appreciate the story because for uh, me, uh, Jordan White was the editor. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's totally cool guy. <laughs> and that he was just he uh, he kind of let me do comics the way I do comics, which was I really appreciated because um, I mean my way of doing comics is I just start is is usually I go in with an idea of what I want to do, and so I've got uh, a a very rough idea of I want to do this, I want to get to here, I want to do this, I want to get to there. Um, and often I don't even have anything written down. I'll just know, I know where I need to get, I know I have an A and I need to get to B and I, I can go any number of ways to get there, but I know where I need to go. And, um, so with that, I, I, I gave him my elevator pitch for the idea of it. And then that was it. I just started drawing it. And, and that was just like a fun way of, of making comics. You just burn through that. And <laughs> yeah. I, I had a good time with it. Because really this, like thinking about it now and rereading the early issues of Savage Dragon and looking at your posts on social media and what you put your, and how you put yourself out there. That's re, I reread it for, I reread it for this interview. Uh, that is the the other Captain America, and I'm like, this is literally just him. <laughs> one issue, yeah, yeah, and it's, and I, I personally, I don't know how you'll take this, but I've actually told somebody as I was prepping for this, if you want to get an idea of Eric Larson, and like his work output, and him as he presents himself, I say that, but but talking to you and having talked to you in the past. The, the Eric Larson that you put on social media really isn't different from the Eric Larson that just is Eric Larson. It's just, it's just you. There's no, there's no veneer or any of that gibberish, but um, I basically told them, if you want to get the, the summary, at least in my opinion of Larson, read this comic start here. Wow. Probably, that probably wouldn't be the one I'd have. <laughs> but I'm also weird. You have to realize this. Yeah. Well, really I realized. <laughs> well, now I'm just sad. <laughs> but um, but with that, I want to say um, um, Michael, Matt, um, did any would did either of you have any questions? Eric, was there anything additional that you want to bring up before we start uh, wrapping up, wrapping everything up, bringing to a close? Well, I, you know, I just I think I got all my questions answered. I'm just happy being here and being able to share my praise for <laughs> one of the fine gentleman who got me into comic books and I'm having the time of my life with the Savage Dragon Ultimate Collection. Yeah, another shameless you know, there you right go. there, but I really do love it. I really do love it. And it's so, oh, and I just coincidentally opened to the, uh, you know, the spawn page and the turtles page. And <laughs> it's, 
it's just fun on every page. And it just reminds me of why I love comics and why I will always be in love with them and why I will always be a slave to bigger and better collected editions because I think it's just so much fun to be here and to hear Eric's stories. And, you know, as long as, you know, and he's, he, he's been a, and as, I've been a fan because of people like him and I'm happy to continue this. And it's just great to be here. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm all for it. I mean, I've always got more stuff to say and more stuff to ask, but um, I'm just going to throw out something real quick that me and Ian were talking about. Um, like I said, uh, just before the the interview is where I really started to, you know, read uh, Savage Dragon. And I just want to say, I like me and Ian were talking about, I actually am enjoying Savage Dragon more that, than I enjoyed the early issues of Spawn. So if you ever feel like telling uh, Todd McFarlane he can suck it, um, that Michael oh, Martinez said like that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you may just take you up on that. <laughs> no, um, no, I, I feel like it's, I don't know, I feel like it's better. That's just, that's me. Uh, anyway, no, but what are you reading right now? What are your favorite comics right now? Uh, I am... What am I reading? I, I'm not reading much, dude. I I hate to say it. I hate to be it, that guy, but um. Well, I, what was the I last? I get all the image books, and then I <laughs> the titles of them all, and so it's like I'll, I skim a bunch of them, but but um, yeah, it's like I don't I don't have them with arm's reach. So what I got. The Magic Order, yeah, I got that. I'm keeping that. King of Spies, read that. Um, well, there was some new book that I was just looking at, and I can't remember for the life of me what the name of it was. I so if you don't have anything that's like currently on your pull list, like what is the most I don't recent have, thing? I've never had a pull list. And I don't do pull lists. I, I'd rather just go me in neither. and... and uh, and be like, oh, this looks cool. That looks cool. Um, I'm kind of the same way. I just, I don't play favorites at comic shops. I just, I shop at all of them. I get something there. It's like, you know, I spread yeah. the wealth. Oh, I like that. Um, I, I, uh, I've got a local store that I go to that's, that's, you know, close by. So that, that helps. Um, so I, but I go there, I do go there every week. I think the only books that I, that I mainstream Comics I get is uh, World's Finest. I like that one. It's been a lot of fun. Um, and not, not much else. But there'll be like times where I'll go into, oh, I really like this art on Spider-Man. So I'm buying Spider-Man. And then oh, I really like whatever. I, I mostly grab onto things because I like the way they're drawn. And then... Uh, there's not that many things that I read, read and I go, oh, that's brilliant writing. Mostly it's like, oh, I like the way this looks. So that's kind of a crappy way of putting it. <laughs> well, it's it's okay. I mean, <laughs> that, that definitely. I don't know what's good. Then there's things that drive me crazy because there's like, I know, um, I know uh, Jonathan Hickman's an awesome writer, but all of his books have yeah. mixed taste lettering. I can't, and I and I hate mixed case lettering in comics or the burning passion. So it's like I'm not reading that. It's got mixed case lettering. There's a while that Marvel was like, 
we're going to do mixed case lettering on everything. It's like, well, I guess I'm not reading Marvel comics anymore. So wow. <laughs> that wow. was kind of hardcore on my part. But, Slightly uh, petty, but it's okay. It, um, it, just, it, it really does drive me crazy. That's all right. Um, so if we if we're not talking about like your favorite, uh, or rather your your currently you know on a pool list or anything like that, so and you're more of a visual guy. So who are your like favorite artists right now? Uh, I like I like John Romita Jr. stuff still a lot. I like um, I like uh, Chris Pacello's stuff when he's doing stuff. I, like I love Chris yeah. Pacello. Um, I don't know the name of the artist who's doing World's Finest, but he's he's damn good. Oh, Dan Mora. Um, Dan Mora. Yeah. By the way, if you haven't read uh, Klaus. Klaus by Klaus Hugh awesome. Morrison, that is one of the best comics being published. I know they're doing a Kickstarter right now for it. But um, check out Klaus by Grant Morrison and Dan Moore. If you want Dan Moore's best artwork, that's that's the one it's, right there. It's the Santa story we all wanted and didn't oh, know. Wow. Oh, wow. I didn't even know this existed. Yeah, yeah it's, it's basically making Santa into a superhero in sort of a medieval time period. You know what? And I'm going to grab my copy right now. It's right on my desk. Hold on. <laughs> And it, it 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 actually is great because like you never really thought of Santa as a superhero, but he does kind of have superpowers and does things just uh, to help children. It's like, and it 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 works. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's why there's like, so many stories out where uh, Superman basically slips into Santa's uh, Santa's role. This is how much I like this. I don't even put it on my shelf. I just put it next to my shelf so I can grab it all the time. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah. So who published that? Um, that from Boom. 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 Okay. I'll be on the lookout for that one. But yeah, that, that comic is absolutely fantastic. Uh, yeah, I'm blissfully unaware of it. These guys just kind of come out of nowhere. Um, Humberto Ramos, I'll buy anything he does. Same. Follow, follow him around. Uh, some other artists I just... You know, I, I I know them by by their art. I don't necessarily know them by their name. Uh, I I was fortunate regarding Romos. I'm one of my local stores, a store called Alien Worlds here in San Antonio. They had an art book, and it wasn't. I thought it was just a Marvel, or like a. I thought it was like one of the monogram books, but it was actually one of Ramos's books that he sells, like his art books that he sells at the at the conventions. And I just opened it up and it was on clearance for half off and it was signed. And I and what? I have work signed by him. And I'm like, this is his signature. I know this is his signature for a fact. And so I bought that. And one of my friends works here, and I was like, So you, you I don't know if you guys knew you had the signed, but uh, it's mine now. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. But yeah, his, that's a great find. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is mine. And it's on my shelf somewhere. I feel like that's all of us. That something is on our shelf somewhere. Yeah, yeah. You can see my shelf here and the shelf in another room. It's like it's like I've got too many books to to like. I'll never be able to read them all. Mainly because, well, someday I should probably learn how to read. I mean, why do you think I need pictures for my books? Literacy. It's it's a spot inside this. 
I'm I'm sure that's why that's like Eric diarrhea. couldn't name his favorite writers. He was just like, oh, um, uh, I like well, the art. I like some, the pictures. I like the pretty pictures. It's so nice. Oh, yeah, it's <laughs> oh, funny. God. We were talking about King. I was. We were talking about King of Spies earlier, and how King of Spies like it is that it is the thing that I don't mind about Miller. That some people do mind about Miller is that Miller he does write with the with the pitch in mind. And I'm yeah. like, you know what? I don't care if this character looks like Pierce Brosnan and this character looks like Tom Hiddleston. It's it's fine because it's really damn cool. Yeah, no, I like he and he finds amazing artists to work with. Yep. Because that was which, is that Raphael Albuquerque? I can't remember. Uh, which 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 one? Are we? I I don't know. I'd have to look it up. Um, don't think it's Albuquerque. I, I saw it in your hand. I know. It's, I'm so all over the place. Oh, no, it's uh, Matthias Calera. There you go. There we go. I totally figured that out without looking that up. Works. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Sure you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dr. I, Internet. I don't, I don't yeah, even, you can forget. I can actually see the webcam, so I can see like the camera. I can, I can see the, the light. Who does, does the magic order? I don't even know how to pronounce that um, guy's name. Olivier Coppel. No, this one's like... GG Carbonago? I don't know. I haven't put on something. Yeah, Capel was amazing, though. Like, first time I saw him was on House of M. Oh, yeah. Marvel. Yeah. oh that's a follow up series. So, GG Carbonago. I don't even know who that guy is, but he's. I don't know either, but his, his work is amazing. I haven't picked up Magic Order yet. It's been on my uh, need to read list for a while, but it's just never ending stack, never ending stack. I'm always buying stuff and just playing catch up, playing catch up, playing catch up, and it's. Uh, I'm no. taking a break for a while and just reading what I have because I realize I need to. I'm afraid to. That's I'm valid. afraid that it'll go out of print, and so I just get it up as soon as I have it. It's like comic store opens up at 11 a.m. It's like give me that Savage Dragon. I gotta have the first one. It's like <laughs> it'll go out of print. And I don't want to have to pay a hundred bucks for it later. Mm, Dragon's crazy in that regard. I'm just happy how much people are talking about this book and like. When you announced it and you got and you showed that box, I love your answer when someone's like, Oh, you should give these out for promotion. It's like, no, I have to I have a family I need to feed. Why don't you give away copies instead? <laughs> it's like, what? It's like, dude, you what? people always want one want me to donate my stuff. Like, dude, this is how I make my living, actually. Yeah, and I also find that a book that I get for free doesn't get me to read it very fast but if i pay for it it's like okay i'm, I'm done I'm just biting and ruin right now there was one um you guys should check out it's called on house of blood it's an independent comic it was actually released by a friend of mine he had talked about the comic he was doing forever and i'm like I, and so many people and eric you can attest to this with some of the oh, stories yeah. that you've talked about and some of the stories that you've told today um, that there was a series where they're like, yeah, yeah, I'll finish that, I'll finish that. It never gets finished for one reason or another. Yeah. And so one of my friend kept talking about his horror anthology and his comic that he was doing, and I'm like, okay, I will read it when I see it. Yeah. Um, and then he did the Kickstarter for it, a comic called House of Blood, and it's beautiful. Like it was the first comic that he's done. Oh, nice. And it's a horror anthology. And he brings in all these different people, and it's full color. It's all paid for, paid for, self published by this by him. House of Blood, Zach by Zach Chapman. That's something 
Like you talk about Dunford, you talk about comics being sent to you for free that you don't necessarily read little later, as opposed to comic <laughs> you buying. This comic, he sent me the digital copy for this comic initially, and then he sent me a physical copy later. I read through all of this in one like an hour. Oh, nice. I just tore through it and then I went through it again. And um that's cool when that happens. Yeah. I had somebody give me a a CD at a at a convention, you know? And it, and it's like when somebody gives you a CD, it's it's like it could be anything, you know. <laughs> and I and I didn't listen to it for the longest time, and then at one point, I was like, oh, "Let me toss this thing on and see what see what we got here." And it was it was great, <laughs> and and it's since become one of my favorite bands. That that a guy just here here you go. It's a band called Einstein's Sister. Einstein's Sister. I want to check this out. Einstein's Sister, and it's like I never heard of these guys before. I know nothing. To, you know how would I how would I have? And it just happens to be that this guy gave me one. And uh, I thought it was like a best of because it was like a really awesome album. And it turns out, no, it's just one of their albums. <laughs> it's like, holy crap. So, yeah, he, he gave me a, uh, it was, the album name was Humble Creatures. And uh, holy crap. <laughs> and, and think about I, it. <laughs> I really thought this story was going to become like a, backdoor origin for the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> like Eric Larson almost discovered the Backstreet Boys and he's like, ah, oh, if I'd only if um, I'd only put in that CD and uh, I would have <laughs> known that everybody wanted it that way um, a lot earlier. Yeah, we usually when somebody gives you a CD, it's usually terrible. That's the yeah. thing. You know, or you know, hey, I want to show you my samples. Like, oh good lord, no, please. Or someone it's gives like, you a CD, it's like, oh, my, my laptop can't take them anymore. Oh my god, no, I'm gonna do it's it. Like, it's like, kid, that, that I'm not gonna tell you that that guy's hands look like sausages and um, the wrist should not be the same size as the um, bicep, but you know what? You seem like a nice kid, so yeah, yeah. Somebody will probably read this one day. Yeah, it's it's the, the worst, it's so tough to deal with that sort of stuff, too, because you've been there. You know, I've been there and I've been that yeah. guy. And it's it's really hard to get other people to read your stuff. But, so you know, would you say that that having the tech confidence is is a key part of it? Um no. <laughs> <laughs> it's like no, you think, just have to be talented. You, you have, have to, to be, be good. I mean, really it comes down to if you're any damn good. Because if you can be, you know, you can be terrible and you might get, you might get a gig eventually somewhere doing something, but probably not. I mean, I I mean, I can tell you that knowledge and talent are, at least in my life, are when it comes to comics are too specifically different, are not exclusive. Because I know all these things about perspective and all these things about drawing a technical skill because my mom is a graphic artist. And so I learned a lot of that from her. I put pencil on paper and I'm like, what the fuck did I just make? <laughs> like the perspective is cool. a masterpiece? 
distraught. <laughs> I'm like, their perspective is poop and everything else is too. At least that stick figure is disproportionate, so that's yeah. pretty tight. Um, well, the, the good news is that should make it really easy to make a full comic in eight hours. Even. <laughs> like, hi, I'm sick for good man. My life is awesome. Um, yeah, put a we... fin on him and then gave it to Eric Larson and be like, I made this for you. Rule like, all over if... it. Yeah, no, persistence is one thing, but if you're no good, that's that's a tough Sorry. thing. There was a there was a guy, I, I don't remember the dude's name at all. But he was trying to get into the comics. And what his way of doing it was, I am going to send, uh, I'm just going to just pull a name out of, I'm just going to say Bob Horseshoe. Let's just say that. His name is Bob Horseshoe. So he, he would send out, Horseshoe is coming. Horseshoe is coming. He sent out physical letters to all the editors and he would send them like, this is, this is coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And so they would get these letters all, all the time for like a couple of weeks, just this guy's coming. And then he sent his samples to everybody. And he had testimonials from, from his friends and his mom and, and, and oh and, yeah, his mom. And he was My such a, he was such a pain in the ass. <laughs> That the editor was like, I don't care what this guy looks like. Do not hire him. <laughs> oh, <laughs> because shit. he had worn out his welcome. Oh, and, and as it turns out, he was terrible. So it was really easy not to hire him. But it worked out. Like, that is not the way to do it. The way to do it is to be really good. Um, and if you're really good, you can make, you can get into comics and you can, and you can uh, have a living doing this stuff. And if, if you're an untalented writer, um, please stay away. But, <laughs> but if, you, if you're an aspiring guy and you want to break into comics and you want to do it, but you, you, can't, uh, you can't find an artist or whatever, just, you know, do, do stick man comics or do a clip art comic where yeah. you just go and, hey, here's a bunch of panels from various other things but I'm rewriting dialogue to it and turning into my own thing just so you have something to look at so you can read my brilliant dialogue. It's something, you know, it's a start. Yeah. And think it's about just, it this way. If they completely bottom out, they don't even know how to write on a piece of paper. They don't even know how to do stick figures. At least they always have an AI app they can use. So yeah, there's that. good for them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm but that's all we'll say about go, that. <laughs> I'm gonna uh, go into you know Lenza after this, and I'm gonna feed it all of Ian's figures and just you know make some savage dragon hentai or something like that. We'll see what happens. There you go. <laughs> Sounds like an afternoon. Sounds like a good yeah. waste of time. And then I'm just gonna I'm gonna send it out to all the editors and be like, the dragon is coming. The dragon is coming. <laughs> Quite literally. And they're like, Eric, why the fuck did you tell them this story? Yeah, here you go. This is it wasn't me. It was, um, it, was, um, it was Todd. He did it. Yeah, he told the story. Yeah. I'm going to sign it George Horseshoe, and it'll be brilliant. <laughs> awesome. You'll win several Eisners and sell five copies. 
Yeah, there you go. And that that would suck because you know I've been told that I can actually write. So then I'm gonna like try to be convincing people that I wrote this really fucking terrible thing. And they're just like, "No, you didn't." I'm like, "Uh, I kind of did." Eric, back me up on this. Uh, and Eric's gonna be like, "Fuck off, man." I've never heard of this guy before in my life. <laughs> I don't know you, dude. Click. What are this recording? I'm what recording? I've destroyed it. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't even have I don't even have my my webcam up, so it makes it harder to claim that it's me. Well, you know? I'm just a sound is... <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know why you couldn't get it the real error, but uh, whatever. <laughs> it's just it's just bananas, good sir. But um, <laughs> this is me, good old bananas Larson. <laughs> uh, okay, I think we've got, I think we have. Oh, gone off into cloud. Got all gone off into cloud town. So, um, so with that, I'm going to bring the show to a close. All right, Eric. Where can people find you on this wonderful, wonderful place called the Internet? Oh, good lord! Yeah. You can just find me on uh, Facebook, and that's it. I have no other. Well, I'm on Hive Social, but that hardly exists. It doesn't even work. <laughs> it doesn't work currently. If it comes back, I'm there. Just spell my name right, and it's E-R-I-K-L-A-R-S-E-N. I'm there. But, yeah, it doesn't currently work, so that doesn't help. Um, but, yeah, what else? I, I'm on Reddit somewhere. I don't even know. I mean, again, just as long as my name is spelled correctly, it's usually you can find me. I don't do the whole... Um, different screen names and, and different different whatever. I'm always just the same dude. So it, it is provided I can get my, my screen name, that's who I am. And if I can't, then I'm then I'm usually like, all right, well here it's my screen name, but with my middle initial or whatever. And um, of course if you want to find Savage Dragon Ultimate Collection and Eric Larson's other work. Go to your well, support your local comic store. Ask yeah. them. Ask them to order it. Yeah, it, those it, guys. It, it, it's beautiful. Yeah, no, those those guys are good. So do it that way. Or if they're total dicks and won't order it for you, <laughs> and, uh, just go to Amazon and they'll hook you up. Michael, Matt, where can people find you? on this social media internet and the webs? Uh, you can just find me on Facebook at Matt Dunford, M-A-T-T-D-U-N-F-O-R-D. Uh, if you feel like following me on TikTok, you can just follow me on the San Diego Comic Fest TikTok. Fun fact every day till we're bigger than Comic-Con. One of these days. Oh. Yeah. And then uh, I'm also on Instagram, not really using uh, Twitter. Well, I never use Twitter that much anyway. It's, you know, but I'm, I'm happy to be off it. And if Hive Social comes back, you can just find me there at Matt Dunford. So I'm just Matt Dunford on everything. Awesome. And what about you, Michael? Well, um, I feel like I've been set up by Eric because he's like, I'm not one of these pieces of shit who have like multiple screen names. So um, you can find me <laughs> on Instagram at Four Ducks Pilot a Mansuit. What? And I'm yeah, gonna remember four, that. Four Ducks Pilot a Mansuit. Uh, and I also I'm not uh currently active on Twitter because you know fuck Twitter. Um, 
But I did go back in time and create a Tumblr with the same name, Four Ducks Pilot, a man suit. Um, you can also find me uh, on Facebook if I feel like letting you. Uh, I did send Eric a, a friend request that he's probably going to ignore. Oh, yeah. Um, but that's pretty much it. <laughs> I'm just going to create the fake account that says, like, you know, George Horseshoe. <laughs> There you go. That um, guy, I'll be friends with him. He's the best. <laughs> and for me personally, uh, as as a lot of the rest of you, Twitter and Elon Musk can go to hell. Um, so Twitter account wow. is gone. Um, the um, that needs that needs to be a comic. We need to get um, Scotty Young on that. There's a comic called Elon Musk can go to hell. Get Art Fisher to publish it. He'll do it. Um, and for all those who understand the art fisher thing, you just you get a gold star or a no prize. Um so, but you can find me, of course, on Facebook and Instagram as your Ian McIntosh. And you can find Circuit 42 on Facebook, Instagram, um, a YouTube channel that has long since not been updated. That once I actually start going back to conventions, you will start seeing content on there. And of course, on Spotify and iTunes. So you guys doing conventions? Is conventions still a deal? Um, I'm not doing any convention coverage yet, but um, eventually when I do start doing conventions again, there will be more video content on the YouTube channel. And uh, I'll be bringing back mine next year for San Diego Comic Fest as we celebrate 100 years of Weird Tales magazine for 2023. And I just came back from LA Comic Con, actually. Oh, well. Yeah, I haven't been to a comic convention since the pandemic, so it's <laughs> it's been pretty quiet around here. So, um, with that, that brings the newest episode of Circuit Forty Two to a close. I am your host Ian, and these are my hosts, Matt the Dunford, yep, <laughs> and Michael yep. the Wizard Martinez. The dragon is coming. The oh. dragon is coming. <laughs> Oh, you're so savage. <laughs> well, and of course, the dragon is coming. And speaking of the dragon coming, we have special guest and professional comic book wizard, Eric Larson. Thank you so much, Eric. It's been a pleasure. All right. It's been a blast. Thank you so much. And with that, Thanks, just, man. and thank you to everyone for listening. Uh, please, please follow us as, I've, as we've said and as we've met on Facebook and Instagram. And please listen to us on Spotify and iTunes. Leave a rating, leave a review. I don't know how that works. And have a great night, everyone.